It's Muppeturgy! And the Academy of Muppeturgy Arts and Sciences has nominated Joe Reed to join us in discussing the Phyllis George episode of The Muppet Show! Yay! Hey everyone, welcome back. We're so glad you're here. I'm David Levy, and here today with me are... Adam Grossworth. Michal Richardson. Christy Bauer. And our aforementioned very special guest star, Joe Reed. Welcome to the show, Joe. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. For the folks at home, Joe Reed has been covering movies and pop culture in a variety of outlets since 2007. He co-hosts the podcast, This Had Oscar Buzz. He also designed and hosts Vulture's Movies Fantasy League. Joe, you famously hate the Muppets. So what are you doing here? I knew this was, I knew that Adam was going to do this to me. Okay. For the record, David wrote that, but I think that that, that goes like to show how... How deeply those tweets cut. I know your truth, but was it tweets yourself, or was it? Because I know I'm on the record on at least one extra hot great where I said something disparaging about Muppet adults, and like I, 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 I said yes. I'm wow. Welcome to our home. <laughs> I enjoy the furniture. <laughs> so okay, so this is. It was one of my dearest friends. Let's let's all give Joe a chance. Well, no, and but also it's just like I know how we are, Adam. I know how you and I are in terms of like yes. hyperbolic being mean about shit. And it was the Muppet movie in 2011 that did it to me. The 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 Muppets, right? Which I fair. there was the fervor around that. I just found deeply performative for a lot of people and annoying. And I rashly said on Mike, which has haunted me now forever. <laughs> Um, something about how, like, yes, I liked the Muppets when I was a kid because I was a kid, but now I'm an adult and I like adults. Something along the lines of like adults shouldn't like Muppets, which is like, meanwhile, I like the dumbest shit. So, like, there's there's no excuse for that. And also, I really liked the Muppets and I still like the Muppets in certain contexts. So, like, I mostly probably should have stuck to my lane and was just like, I don't like this particular Muppet movie. I think it's bad. I think it's dumb. So... In, in your defense, I think it was also the the press around that movie yes, that forced people like Tim Gunn to act like Miss Piggy was a real person who had trouble buying clothes. Like I think well, that I've always been too. annoyed too at awards. Speaking of awards, actually, when like Mickey Mouse will come out to co-present an award with somebody, or like, but you know what I mean, like the the Monsters Inc., which is so curmudgeonly of me. Also, by the way, it's just like I don't know. I have weird. Standards that probably don't hold up to scrutiny. If I thought about it for half a second, I'd be like, "How dare they impugn the dignity of the Oscars?" I'm saying <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Well, but R two D two is okay, right? No, I don't know. <laughs> no, probably not. I don't think they've ever actually done that, which is kind of weird. Like that, Star Wars is like the one property of that kind of thing that like they have nominated for Best Picture, and yet. But anyway, the other thing was around Muppets 2011 was there was a lot of with like. Walter and all of that. There was a lot of talk about like the sanctity of the Muppets. And that's, I think, the one that like flipped my switch where I was just like, all right, like everybody calm down about this. Like we've got to protect the sanctity. Only Jason Siegel can protect the, the legacy because he's a true, like whatever. It was like, ah, I don't know. Get over it. Get over it. But anyway, it, it obscures the fact that like I really loved the Muppets when I was a kid and I have such fondness for all of them. And I am like, a scooter at heart. You know what I mean? Like all that sort of stuff. So it's, it's fine. I'm very glad you're here with us. I hope that this episode did not make you hate the Muppets more. 
It was one of those things where I was just like, yep, not so easy to do an award show well, is it? So, um, uh, <laughs> And also, there's that. no such thing as the Sanctity of the Muppets, if, if this episode yes. teaches us anything. <laughs> but the guest, the guest of honor was another one where I was like, oh, like unexpectedly like new lane for me because like I'm not old enough to remember Phyllis George exactly on the NFL uh, broadcasts on CBS, but I'm like – you know, I'm obviously a football fan because I'm in Buffalo and you have to be. But like she's sort of famous for that about being like one of the first, you know, women to cover the NFL on this, you know, studio show that they had forever and ever. And like that particular studio show was somewhat notable because it had uh, this guy, Jimmy the Greek on it, who got like famously ended his career because he said some incredibly racist things and whatever. So it was like, it was a whole deal. It was a whole deal. Anyway. Wait, hold that thought. We'll come back to it. Yes. <laughs> I have a feeling that we have perhaps misunderstood the question. Uh, but first, we're going back to the Dizzy Gillespie episode for a very stupid correction. I, we were trying to figure out why uh, Do Wa Diddy, the song, had a weird resurgence in the 80s. And like immediately after we finished recording, I realized it was because of Moonlighting. Not just because Bruce Willis sang it a little bit of it on Moonlighting, but because that clip was in every single goddamn commercial for Moonlighting. And so... Uh, oh, was it because of Short Circuit 2? It was that, and it was <laughs> it was Stripes. It was like in a bunch of things. But uh, yeah, yeah. the reason that I knew it, that I struggled on mic to remember uh, and failed, was Moonlighting. Um, that clip is in the show notes for that episode. And uh, I just know a lot of people have been watching Moonlighting recently on Hulu, so several of you were probably yelling, Moonlighting, at us. That's but but shout out to listener Ben Dreyfus, who did raise short circuit two with us on facebook it was oh. a call that we had not mentioned it <laughs> we appreciate you ben <laughs> it might have been moonlighting following the zeitgeist rather than leading the zeitgeist but you know <laughs> they, it was all in the water yeah here is a muppet news flash. we're here this week to talk about season four episode 14 of the muppet show it was produced the week of july 17th 1979 and this is your final nerdy reminder that the Disney Plus order doesn't seem to match the actual production order, uh, at least according to Muppet Wiki, but they have dates, so we're trusting them. Either way, this does appear to have been the last episode made before they took a break for the rest of 1979, so this is the last time that we'll have to talk about that. And uh, for us, it is the end of the 70s. This episode aired on December 3rd, 1979. It was number 11 in the air order in between Lola Falana and Crystal Gale. In the news, the Shah of Iran was given sanctuary in the U.S. New air pollution rules were set by the Environmental Protection Agency in an effort to lower costs and increase efficiency. The policy allows concerns to increase pollution for some sources at the expense of others, provided the total amount of pollution is within clean air requirements. Sounds great. I see no problems. Cool. Racist incidents are as more Black people move to the suburbs of New York. Also great. Uh, New England has elected its first black mayor in New London, Connecticut. There's a cute article on the Times about competitive Scrabble. Um, the official Scrabble dictionary was just published last year. Two headless bodies were found in a motel fire, which is Less gruesome, cute. and we're not going to get into it. Oh, God. Um, but it, it stuck out to me because this took place at the Travel Inn Motor Lodge on West 42nd Street, which is still there. Yeah, wow. <laughs> but 42nd and 11th. It's still there. Like, it's just one of those things where, like, New York City has changed so much. And I was like, wait, the what? And I Googled it, and it is the same building. It's still there. Oh, Here. I think I've stayed there. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who has stayed in New York as a visitor 
enough times has stayed in a building where someone has been. Murdered. That is, well, yeah, no, yeah. that's yeah. like, and it's like, well, like it's you know, the story is exactly what you like. It's a, it's obviously was like some kind of weird hit cover up. Uh, only the fire was only in one room. Like it's gruesome and it's whatever, but like it's like one of those crime stories. And but so yes, like these these things happen. It's horrible, but like, um, <laughs> if you yeah, say so, <laughs> just travel in Motor Lodge almost for anyway. Uh, there's right. one of those defensive ads from Exxon uh, that we talked about before. This one is labeled number one in a series, which I just found funny. <laughs> I, I guess. I don't know. Okay. Collect apologies. <laughs> well, they're not apologies. That's the thing. They're, Joe, to catch you up, they're, they're, um, these ads like during the energy crisis, the oil companies were like, we know you're mad at us for making money. Like you saw, you saw our profit reports. And you're mad because gas is so expensive. But here's what we're doing with the money. Uh-huh. Grocery it's stores okay. start taking those out this year. It's really strange. Yeah. So it's not like, but have you considered all the great things that Exxon is doing? No, it is. It is that. It is that. <laughs> oh, That's okay, like, it this is. is what we're doing with the money. You, we're, Wouldn't we're reinvesting you be sad if there was no oil? Like, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, okay, fun stuff. So uh, in movies, this is weird. Like, we've I've never seen anything like this in the time we've been doing this. There's a full page ad. That says Metro Goldwyn Mayer proudly announces the start of principal photography today on one of the most important projects in history. And then there is a photo of a book. Uh, and the book is The Formula, starring George C. Scott, Marlon Brando, and Martha Keller. The year's most exciting bestseller is now filming in Los Angeles and Europe for national release in December 1980. Did that ever get released? It is that did. That happened. It did. I, I have more information coming. Have, have, okay, first of all, have, and Joe, have you ever seen anything like this? Never. Have, have you have I, ever seen an ad like that? It's what it's an ad that that's more you know for a trade publication. Well, right. And like, the, yeah, that's, this is the New York that feels time. like a thing you'd see in Variety or something right. like that. I'm sure it's happened in, especially as like as you go farther back. You know, you want to really like hype up a movie that's you know. Coming, especially if it was a bestseller, I could see where they would want to do that. Especially you, you hit those Times readers who, you know, they read books. So, um, <laughs> but I've never heard of this movie. The four that was my next question. Have any of you heard of or seen this movie? Which I guess had Oscar buzz. To bring it back to you, Joe, I was going to say and the movie had the same that. name as the book. Like, didn't change. Yeah, yeah. The, the, name at some the, point? the movie was called The Formula. Okay. I, the I believe the book was so there. dramatic, right? Oof. Right. Okay. Well, stop. Stop googling because I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some. Oh, okay, okay. 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 It cost it cost thirteen point two million dollars to make. And it grossed $8.9 million worldwide. Mm-hmm. It did receive one Oscar nomination for cinematography and four Razzie nominations. Wow. <laughs> and I guarantee you they hit Brando and George C. Scott in, in the Razzie nomination. I, now I can't remember. I did. I, I looked it up, but I didn't write it down. Uh, I've got it on IMDb. It was one of them for sure. Uh, yeah. 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 Wild. Wild. Jeez. Did the critics uh, complain that it was too formulaic? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's the, from the guy who directed Rocky, um, and also the Karate Kid. So he had some other. He did yeah. get the Razzie. The he director okay. got the Razzie nomination, and and Brando did, but not George C. Scott. So oh. clearly, George C. Scott was greasing some palms or something. There you know. go. Uh, elsewhere in the movies, uh, I think we've talked about all of these before. Uh, Apocalypse Now, The Rose, Starting Over. Have we talked about Starting Over? It's in its ninth Smash week, so we must have. I feel like we must have been the Candace Bergen episode, but right, yeah. right. Who knows? Uh, ten. Um, and then this caught my eye: the Radio City Special Holiday Film Program, mostly because wouldn't it be cool if you could still see movies at Radio City Music Hall? Yes. Yeah. One of my Facebook friends was just talking about this. That as a kid, every year he went for the special holiday film at Radio City. Well, 
how old is he? Because I'm sorry if he if he did this. He's older older than this. <laughs> so uh, this year's special holiday film program was The Slipper and the Rose, uh, which was a live action Cinderella starring Richard Chamberlain as the prince, and Walt Disney's The Small One. Have any of you heard of The Small One? Nope. nope. So this is the short that yeah, accompanied the movie. This is a a thirty ish minute short from 1978. It's a Don Bluth joint. Mm-hmm. I watched this today because, you know, it's a short. It's a Disney short I've never seen or heard of. What could go wrong? Was it on Disney Plus? It's on Disney Plus. There is no uh, there is no disclaimer. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's ancient Palestine. And small one is a donkey who is uh, both a runt and also too old. They like couldn't just pick one, uh, I guess. And so he can't work anymore. And so this kid's dad sends him to town to sell the donkey where everyone was like, no, I don't want to buy your stupid, worthless old donkey. Uh, and then when the boy has given up all hope and I, I guess like his dad's going to beat him, like it seems like, yeah, I get to keep my pet donkey, but like he can't go he has home to sell the donkey for magic beans. Well, you think that's where it's going. Yeah. You're close. Um, he's given up all hope because he can't go home without having sold the donkey. And this man comes to him and is like, hey, is that donkey for sale? I need to need him to carry my wife to Bethlehem. Uh-huh. Oh, this is now actually ringing a bell. Uh... So it's like a surprise? A surprise? And I yelled, fuck Christmas no. Yeah. <laughs> and, al- and also... Donkey is too old to work. You're not going to entrust him with your pregnant, pregnant wife. lady on him. He's like, he's like, he seems gentle. He's just what I need. I swear to God. And also Joseph is voiced by Gordon Jump who an entire generation of children only know as the child molester from different strokes. Yeah. So like, <laughs> it's just, <laughs> that's a lot. It's real bad. It has like two of the worst songs I've ever heard in my life, which were composed by Don Bluth. <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't know he wrote songs. He didn't. <laughs> Don Bluth had a lot of good qualities, but like songs were maybe not. No. Although, I mean, Songs in American Tale are great, but maybe he that's... He didn't write those? No, I'm sure he didn't write those. No. <sighs> okay, um, I've gone on way too long. In theater, the Kennedy Center honors are tonight. Aaron Copeland, Henry Fonda, Martha Graham, Tennessee Williams, and Ella Fitzgerald are the honorees. Damn. There's a review of Bent, starring Richard Gere and David Marshall Grant. We have talked about that before, but it opened last night. So, you know, we go back and forth in time on this podcast. It's wild to hear a list of Kennedy Center honors where all of the the figures are like esteemed figures of artistic history because i'm so used to like the modern day ones where they're like paul simon carly simon ll cool j and you're just like huh but i imagine in the in the late 70s you all you didn't have that distance so you you were just like i mean in 45 years even by then i guess henry fonda would have been legendary so yeah i don't know I would argue that Paul Simon is legendary. I mean, I would. Oh no, no, that 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 was not not shade towards any of those three people. Maybe a little Cool J a little bit, but okay. But you remember when he co-presented a Tony Award with Carol Channing? Well, yes. I mean, for that alone, he deserves (laughs) a Kennedy His contributions to the arts. I mean, it's more like people that you you wouldn't imagine being at the same dinner party. You know, like. Whereas Aaron Copeland and Martha Graham worked together. So I'm imagining that they must have performed together somehow at this Kennedy Center Honors. On the Cashbox Pop Charts, uh, the number one song is Babe by Styx. Number one album is The Long Run by the Eagles. Still the word. (laughs) (laughs) And on TV, there's an article, uh, Audiences for TV Newscasts in Dramatic Increase. That that just stood out to me, given TV Today. 
CBS had the White Shadow, MASH, WKRP in Cincinnati, and Lou Grant. On Lou Grant, the mother of Donovan's cousin Andrew, a mental patient, warns Donovan that her son is about to explode, but nobody knows how to prevent it. Guest stars Bruce Davison and Barbara Barry. And this was when I thought I really should watch Lou Grant and discovered it's not streaming anywhere. Yeah. ABC had 240 Robert and Monday Night Football. NBC at 7.30 had the Rockefeller Center Tree Lighting, hosted by Phil Donahue, which also stood out to me because I watched this year's Tree Lighting, and it was a two-hour nationally broadcast primetime affair. So, you know, how quaint. Yeah. That was followed by the Baron Stain Bears Christmas Tree, the Little Rascals Christmas special, which I checked was animated and did not star the original Little Rascals. (laughs) A TV movie, Friendships, Secrets, and Lies, Six former sorority sisters are suspected of murder when a baby's skeleton is found in the ruins of the sorority house, starring <laughs> Shelley Fabray, Tina Louise, Paula Prentice, and Loretta Swit. Wow. The secret is that the sorority house is actually the Travelodge Motor Inn on <laughs> <laughs> Where Jesus was born. Yeah, oh. yes, right. Yeah, yeah. And the donkey performed abortions. Um <laughs> This was apparently the first TV movie with an all-female cast and creative team. Wow. Uh, There's a review of it in this Times. I actually tried to watch it and couldn't. I found some clips on YouTube. It it does not look very good, but it looks kind of fun. There's a lot of like waving goodbye to husbands who have just left for work. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I appreciate the effort. Channel 11 had an Operation Primetime special event. John Jake's The Seekers. One by one, they lost their innocence. Some surrendered it. Some had it torn from them. Elizabeth longed for Abraham, her stepbrother. Together on the savage frontier, they fought for their lives. Amanda was a girl when she fled with Jared. Kidnappers made her a woman, and revenge made him a man. Good lord. Wow. Hot-blooded men, passionate women facing the dangers of untamed America. Delta Burke, George Hamilton, Rosie Greer, John Carradine, Vic Morrow, Robert Reed, and two people named Randolph Mantooth and Donald Mantooth. I'm just going to go back. You actually, you did say kidnappers made her a woman and revenge made him a man. I did say that. That is yes. the most unsettling sentence I have ever heard in my well, entire it was life. In, it was in an ad in the New York Times. Wow. Uh, this whole thing is on YouTube. I, oh, no. I tried. We'll put it in the show notes. Will we? <laughs> you can do it as you will. Yeah. Some of these were weird. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss them. <laughs> to introduce our guest star, that's what I'm here to do. So it really makes me happy to introduce to you. Phyllis George, Miss America, sportscaster, first lady of Kentucky, chicken mogul. Phyllis Ann George was born in 1949 in Denton, Texas. While in college at North Texas State University, she competed in the Miss Texas pageant, coming just short of the title at age 19 and then winning at age 20. That crown entitled her to a scholarship at Texas Christian University, so she transferred. It also was her ticket to compete in the Miss America pageant, and she won, becoming Miss America 1971. As Miss America, she went on a USO tour of Vietnam And as most Miss Americas do, she made a number of television appearances during her reign. She endeared herself both to Johnny Carson and the American people with her disarming charm. She famously dropped her crown while walking down the runway and happily referred to herself as the klutzy Miss America on The Tonight Show. That same charm helped diffuse some tensions surrounding the pageant, which was picketed that year by the Women's Liberation Front. 
As they continued to picket her appearances during her reign, Phyllis extended a hand of friendship to them and found some common ground. She agreed that she didn't love parading around in a bathing suit, but she appreciated the opportunities that the Miss America program afforded her, not the least of which was the college scholarship. She eventually made a career in broadcasting, first as co-host of subsequent Miss America broadcasts, then joining Alan Funt on the new candid camera in 1974, but really making her mark in 1975 when she joined CBS Sports on a 13-week contract. Although many were skeptical of a woman in the role, Phyllis quickly proved that she not only had what it took, but that she brought a different perspective to coverage that brought out new sides of the athletes she interviewed. That 13-week contract was followed by a three-year deal that put Phyllis on the NFL Today, the Sunday pregame show that had been a fixture on CBS in one form or another from 1961 to the present day. At the end of those three years, she moved on to other things, including hosting the television version of People magazine that we've mentioned on our show in the past, and a brief marriage to Robert Evans. She was his fourth wife, and they only stayed together for a year. In 1979, she married John Brown Jr., who had announced his candidacy for the governor of Kentucky during their honeymoon. In December, he was sworn in as the 55th governor of Kentucky. If that name sounds familiar, it's because we also talked about him on the Kenny Rogers episode. In addition to being governor of Kentucky, he's the guy who made Kentucky Fried Chicken a national phenomenon, and then later teamed up with Kenny to create the Kenny Rogers Roasters chain. When the Brown family moved into the Kentucky governor's mansion, they discovered it was in severe disrepair, and as first lady, Phyllis spearheaded a Save the Mansion campaign to raise funds to help offset the repair costs. She was also the main decision maker in the renovations of the home. Shortly after her visit to The Muppet Show, Phyllis returned to the NFL Today from 1980 to 1984, after which she co-anchored the CBS Morning News. Turned out, news was not a great fit for her, and after a few months, she was replaced. She also wrote three books during this time about crafting. She was an avid collector of folk art, and she founded the Kentucky Museum of Arts and Crafts in 1981. In 1986, she founded Chickens by George, a chicken filet business that she sold to Hormel in 1988. She separated from John Brown Jr. in 1995 before divorcing in 1998. They had two children together, including Pamela Brown, who followed in her mother's footsteps as a broadcaster and currently works for CNN. Phyllis continued to work occasionally on television into the 90s and made a small but memorable film appearance in Meet the Parents in 2000. She died of cancer in 2020 at the age of 70. Who has Phyllis George memories they'd like to share? Me! (laughs) Unsurprisingly, as our resident Kentuckian, Although I, to be fair, was born during the first term of Martha Lane Collins, who was John Y. Brown's lieutenant governor, and then governor right after him, Kentucky's first and only uh, female governor. But yeah, I have a funny story about Phyllis George. So my Aunt Sharon, uh, God rest her soul, was at a fancy party around the time of the Kentucky Derby in, I want to say, the 80s. My my Uncle Jim was a bass player, and he played with several bands, and one of their regular gigs was the Barnstable Brown Party, which is the big celebrity party the night before the Kentucky Derby. And my Aunt Sharon sat down at a table, and she spotted Muhammad Ali nearby, and she turned to the woman next to her and said, hey, do you have a pen? I want to go get his autograph. <laughs> and it was Phyllis George. <laughs> <laughs> it, did she have a pen? You know, I I never found out. But, to be fair, uh, she is less famous than Muhammad Ali. Yeah, <laughs> that's significantly. Like... But although in Kentucky, yeah, but yeah, I don't have Phyllis George memories per se. I mean, like that—that's always the first thing that I think of. But a lot of her her legacy has left a pretty significant footprint in Kentucky. 
Like, I didn't realize that the Kentucky Museum of Arts and Crafts was her doing. I love that place. It's it's small and delightful. Yeah, and I discovered something wild related to their family while I was doing research for this episode. So I worked for a couple years in the box office at Actors Theater of Louisville. And the main theater, the main stage at Actors Theater of Louisville is the Pamela Brown Auditorium. And I did not know that it was named for John Y. Brown's sister, who the year before the facility opened, died in a transatlantic air hot air balloon accident. No. <laughs> yeah. And uh, their daughter, uh, Phyllis George's daughter, Pamela Brown, who's on CNN, is named for named the Pamela for Brown, who was in the, the balloon accident. Are, are transatlantic balloon flights a common phenomenon? Like, I just, I'm stuck on that. I know this is not no, the point of the story. No, no. <laughs> it, it, it was a, we're trying to break our record type thing. Ah. Her and, and two guys in this, like, experimental type balloon and apparently the balloon went down and they sent out like signals, but nobody found them. They found pieces of the balloon, but not them. She wasn't taking the 430 to Heathrow or anything. Right. Like that. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. So, yeah. Wow. Chicken, balloons, Kentucky. Chicken and balloons. Chicken by George. <laughs> yeah. There you go. It's a perfect name. There's an interesting ESPN documentary about Jimmy the Greek, who was her co host on one of her co-hosts on the CBS football show. And the stuff about him is like fairly interesting or whatever, sort of a tragic figure brought down by his own sort of ignorance. But the stuff with her, she's a talking head on it. And she talks about their sort of contentious relationship and and her having a hard time trying to get the sports establishment to accept her and whatever. And that they ultimately had this sort of like contentious, but oftentimes very friendly relationship. And so that was the stuff that was like, you know, mostly interesting to me. She seems like a very interesting figure, kind of a like best case scenario, like the on the other end of the spectrum from like an Anita Bryant, who's just, you know what I mean? He takes, you know, if you want to take your pageant success and do something really, really awful or, or, you know, do mostly good things. It's a particular type of celebrity too, that I don't know how many, like, we don't really have that flavor of celebrity anymore. You know, Vanna White's still on the, on Wheel of Fortune, but like, it feels like that's, seems like a very sort of like 70s kind of celeb, right? Yeah. Because it's like, not even a personality, right? It's like, it's almost like an anti-personality. Right, like Chrissy Teigen has to do so much to like, feign the idea that she has this excess of personality to do the kinds of things where Phyllis George was just like, well, I want Miss America and everybody likes me. So like, like I'm pretty and I can handle a conversation. Right. Exactly. That's exactly right. it. It was just like, I don't make, you know, it's, there's a lot to be said for people who can like make conversation on television. It's not always easy. Even Miss America isn't really a thing anymore. Like, in, right. When was I mean, the last it's a thing, but like, to have like, right, nobody knows. Yeah. Right. Like now, like it's like the cast of the traders is as close as you get, right? Like, like the, you have to be the bachelor to be right to be this level of right, right. Bachelor just made a good move on the traders. So I know that's you know that's the that's the new pathway, I guess. I know we're we're in the past. Who knows Phyllis George would have been out. good on the traders. I would, I'll, I'll say. Oh that God, right she'd now. be so good. <laughs> yeah, I feel like she'd been very good. But yeah, like so when this started, I had no I had no idea who she was, and and when this uh, we'll get into it, but like you know, if you're not watching along, like this is a high concept episode 
said at an award show and it started and my first thought was like oh is that her thing like, yeah. like was she a, was she an award show host because like it could be Oh, yeah, be, I'm sure she's presented be your a job, bunch of different right? Like, yeah. game well, show host, award she show was host. the co-host of the Miss America broadcast for a number of years, which right, is right. not not an award show, right? <laughs> you know? Wait, can I backtrack for half a second and Please. interrupt because we mentioned the traders, and I just thought of a tweet, and I can't remember who wrote it for the life of me. Um, if if you're out there and you wrote this, chime in. But said that like for the next season of the traders, Miss Piggy should be a contestant on the traders, fully like playing it straight, like not even acknowledging the puppeteer or whatever, <laughs> just like Miss Piggy, fictional Miss Piggy is a contestant on the traders and everybody has to play it fully straight. And I'm like, that's the greatest idea I've ever See, heard that's that kind of what broke you in 2011, but I feel like in this context, but in this brilliant. context, it's so absurd that because I it, would it would destroy work. everybody. Yeah, it would be. Yes, I would be very fully in favor of that. Yeah. 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 Okay. Why don't you get me this is the part of our show where we uh, speak broadly about what we thought about the episode. We like to start with our guest, Joe, having not watched the Muppet Show in, I'm going to say, 30 years. <laughs> we gave Certainly you this one. Yeah. What'd you think? It felt like it was doing a lot of business that took away from the stuff that the Muppet Show does that we want to see. Do you know what I mean? I think certain things went on longer than my interest could contain. The sort of battling ethnic stereotypes award where it was just like, Oh, this just keeps on, keeps on going. And sometimes it's good or whatever, but like, sometimes it's not, I wasn't a big, huge fan of the Rolf numbers, which I don't remember. I remember being a fan of Rolf in general. So like, this wasn't a great Rolf episode. I also don't know if they gave Phyllis George a lot of opportunities to be funny. They kind of put her in like the most safe context where she's just sort of like, presenting an award but not doing anything funny and i guess that's i don't know maybe that's less unusual than than i'm remembering but it wasn't my favorite it was not my favorite episode yes fair and sorry christy <laughs> how about you well first of all i have to throw out a, a mid-episode correction so i looked it up Martha Lane Collins was only governor for one term. So it was her first term and last term. Because at the time, Kentucky governors could not run for re-election. What? They yeah, they can now. Huh. Thankfully. But, uh, what a wild rule. It's Kentucky. I mean. <laughs> um, yeah, I really did not care for this episode. I thought it was sloppy. I thought it was lazy. I just, for it, it to have a fairly high concept container. Mm -hmm. I just thought they cut corners in every place they could. And I did, didn't think it was a good showcase for anybody. So yeah, this, I think this may be my least favorite episode of season four so far. David. Wow. Uh, I found it inoffensive. Like I, well, I mean, except for the parts that were offensive. <laughs> so maybe that's not the right word. But I, you know, I I thought it, it was fine. Like I didn't I didn't hate it. There were not parts where I was like looking at my watch or or wanting to be doing something else. It, it's certainly not an excellent episode. It's a weird choice that all of the songs are songs that we've already seen the Muppets do and 201 we've already seen them do better uh which definitely hurts uh it's a very strange choice but like you know, whatever it was fine this was not this was no Peter Ustinoff Michal 
it's redundant to say that this was a weird episode of The Muppet Show, but this was a weird episode of The Muppet Show. <laughs> and even though it, it wasn't exactly a clip show because they they did new performances of the songs and new sketches of the nominated best sketch. And even though a lot of effort went into the visuals with the costumes and the sets, some of the other folks seem to have just kind of taken the week off. And as much as I appreciate the big swing of a concept episode, this didn't feel like they then followed through on the concept and didn't quite feel like the Muppets, like the jokes weren't quite all there. Some of the characters felt a little like they weren't themselves this episode has its moments, but it's not one that I plan to revisit anytime soon. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Um, like, I, I I, like the concept. I like when they try a high concept and just because it sort of shakes up the formula. But but yeah, it's, eh, it's fine. Um, I didn't I didn't hate it as much as Christy did, but all of those critiques I completely agree with. They're totally accurate. They just didn't it didn't it didn't quite sink that low for me. I would love to see them up to do an awards show thing. That is not this. <laughs> That's it. it like, I, I feel yeah. like it's more wasted potential than active badness. Yeah. Like if they yeah. were, to, you know what it felt like when I was in college, like at the end of the year, our like, you know, theater, our student theater group would, would give out awards, would give out joke awards that were always like a little bit mean, uh, but funny. And we were all friends and it was fine. That's kind of what this felt like, <laughs> except we all had to watch it. Like I would have much rather seen them actually like spoof an award show, yeah, for real, like with actual stakes. Well, and it's funny to me that like they were on the verge of being nominated for two Oscars for the Muppet movie, and right. So like it would it would almost be like give me this episode in a year when you've sort of you know when the people involved with the Muppets sort of have been through an award show and whatever that they've had some investment in. And you can maybe sort of like poke fun at it from the other side of having lost two Oscars to more forgettable movies. It just, yeah, it, it, there wasn't anything specific. I, as somebody who's like, you know, very familiar with the Oscars, like I should have been able to like pick out like at least a couple like references that they were making or like something that they were actually poking fun at rather than a montage sort of, like, of Muppets who died this year. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Which like, they could do. They blow up all the time. That would have been funny. Yeah. <laughs> In loving tribute. <laughs> just explosion. After explosion. Gonzo multiple times. Like that's a good joke. When Kermit and Scooter actually did get to present on the real Oscars in 1986, it is a it is a much better bit than anything that's in this episode. Yeah, yeah. And I think you're right. Like having been through that experience, Joe probably made for a better. Yeah, I should say I said more memorable movies. I should. I was just going to call you lost... on that, Norma Ray. No, I know. I'm totally wrong. I was I was literally <laughs> like speaking without thinking. Yeah, it was Norma Ray and all that jazz that they lost to. So like, no, that's absolutely wrong. But the song from Norma Ray right. is not yeah. the thing. You... I will right. say I have one friend who stands by the the Norma Ray song as a as an all time great. So, but I would uh, I mean Rainbow Connections, Rainbow Connection. It's it's tough to beat that. Also, the love theme from Ice Castles was also nominated, and you know it's a great love theme. Marvin, really Han- I mean Marvin split Hamlet. the vote. Come on. Yeah, exactly. Say, we got a very special show planned for you tonight. You're going to love it. Are you sure about that? Oh, I guarantee it's exciting, suspenseful. Is it funny? The guarantee just ran out. Scooter opens the dressing room door in an adorable tux. And as we mentioned, you can say what you will about this episode, but they did not skimp on hours producing costumes and sets. So at least we have that. This is one of a couple moments in the episode where Phyllis is kind of a bitch, and I love it. 
Um, <laughs> one of you, I think Joe just said that like she doesn't get a lot of moments to shine or really do anything. And it's too bad because when she does, she's great. Yeah, she's really charming. Yeah. Although, is Phyllis being a bitch here or is Scooter being a bitch here? I mean, both things can be true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Statler and Waldorf ask us a valid question. Why don't we all go home and read a book? Fair. Gonzo plays his trumpet and then a long furry arm pokes out of the, the O in the Muppet Show. <laughs> it's wearing a boxing glove and Gonzo gets knocked out. The timing is really funny. I enjoyed this moment. It does look like Cookie Monster underneath the glove, right? That's the that's the quality of, of Muppet fur. It is the furry, color at least. Furry light blue, but I, I don't know if it's quite Cookie Monster's shade, but yeah, it does feel like it could have come off of Sesame Street. Yeah. Let's go backstage. Or on stage. The Muppet Show backstage. So we're doing our backstage bit, some of which takes place on stage this week, but they're all experiencing the awards show on both sides of this. And as a very special treat, we have as our guest are the beautiful and talented Miss Phyllis George. That is the good news. Now for the bad news, we have a really dumb show planned for you tonight. Come it, come it. You can't tell the audience that tonight's show is dumb. Don't worry about it, Bear. Yeah, we noticed years ago. You wonder how that exchange got written into this show. Like, did they just know? Like, I, I, like it, <laughs> it just, it really, it felt very out of character for Kermit to just be like, we've got a big turn for you. <laughs> well, yeah. he's, he's sort of consistent throughout the episode as being like, I hate award shows. And so, like... As somebody who's dealt with that personality type a lot, like, I get it. Like, Kermit's just never going to be convinced. Kermit's just, just like, constitutionally opposed to work. Okay, but That's what is the decision-making tree in the Muppet Show universe where, <laughs> where, where they, they, the they do the show and Kermit doesn't get to veto it? Right, right, yeah. I mean, this this whole thing seems to be happening to them. Like, the, the awards show... Yeah is just something that somebody decided the the blue ribbon judges whom we'll meet at the end but like the muppets didn't make decisions about who's getting the awards or why this is happening it does also feel like there should have been a much bigger through line with piggy being obsessed with winning as many awards as she could right like it comes on more at the end but i feel like at that this is miss piggy she wins she lives to win awards i would well and part of the problem is that the awards don't make any sense well, that too. <laughs> and like, I, which it wouldn't need to if it were funnier, but like, right. because right, there's no, there's no internal logic to the awards, right? which means Piggy can't have an arc because there's n- none of it actually, like Piggy doesn't even know she's nominated for one of the awards, right? Like it doesn't. Yeah. There are a lot of decent one-off jokes, but like we've been saying, this is a lot of missed potential. Right. And like, and Kermit has introduced things as stupid before. And then it's been like something profoundly silly in the way that we love. So like I, I was the intro sort of set me up for something that was going to be really fun and great. And then it wasn't that. Yeah. But somebody, somebody decreed that this is happening and all of the Muppets are wrapped up in the drama. Piggy can barely contain herself. Once we learn that she's up for an award, (laughs) Um, although she's she's excited throughout. She she grabs Kermit, and then in all of her excitement, she just drops him. Isn't this exciting? I hate award shows. Oh. They're announcing the first award! <laughs> I really hate award shows. Also, why are all the nominees backstage? Why aren't they sitting in the audience like in a real award show? The audience I know, is small, small things. Also, that, that sound effect with the visual... 
works fine, but like on its own just sounds like somebody dropped a bowling ball. <laughs> <laughs> Kermit ate a bowling ball for breakfast. <laughs> um, maybe that's why he decided he had to take the night off. Uh, so Fozzie steps in to co-host with Phyllis. The first Fred Award is for Best Foreign Act. Here are the nominations. A Fred? You call the award a Fred? Yeah, we have to call it something and nobody uses it as Fred, so... May, excuse me, may I see a Fred, please? Uh, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bowling trophy. <laughs> yeah, Fozzie, by the way, he's switched out his usual polka dot tie for a black tie polka dot tie. So they're just black polka dots. Oh, on a white tie. that was cool. I liked that. Yeah. Fozzie as a comedian who is just totally out of his element bombing as the host of a award show is the most real thing about this episode. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> How do we feel about this set? I need to talk about the set, especially Joe as a, as a sort of award, award show YouTube connoisseur. How does this feel as like a late seventies? I liked the, um, the, chintziness of the candles that they have these sort of like dollar store plastic you know electric candles that they had on the candelabras i was like that was that felt like a nice touch perhaps unavoidably just seems like very small for an award stage you know what i mean so like and i wonder if there were ways to get around that or something like that or maybe just like make the smallness sort of work for you in that way and they didn't really go for that it also took me an embarrassingly long time to get the fred joke which i feel stupid about it's Fred. It's, you know, Oscar is sort of just like a random name and theirs are called the Freds. It's like, oh, okay. Like it took me a while to sort of figure out what that joke was. It was like, okay, all right. But yeah, the, uh, there were a couple interesting, you know, I think the, the idea was this sort of like cavalcade of candelabras or whatever on the stage. And it, it looked cheap, but I think it was, that's, that was the idea. So. Yeah. There's a lot of gold. Yeah. And there's a lot of close-ups that were not made for HD. On like on this set, in a way, I don't, I haven't noticed in the recent episode. This particular year at the Academy Awards, I remember, was a very silvery set. Like mm-hmm. that's that's the one thing I remember about the the clips from that Oscars. It's just everything felt like very sort of starkly uh, silver, glittery kind of a thing. So yeah, yeah, this seems like it's meant to feel lavish, but in a low-budget Muppet way. Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, so Fozzie announced the nominations for Best Foreign Act, but we don't get to hear all of those nominations. Uh, they announced the Flying Zucchini Brothers as the first nominee, and the Zucchini Brothers rush on stage and accept the award as though they've won. And that's the end of that award. Although later in our UK spot in the canteen, Louis Kazagger of Muppet Sports interviews the Zucchini Brothers, and they have invoked the ire of their competitors, who are apparently the the Nippon Flippers, the Swahili Stompers, and the Volga Shotmen, and international tensions ensue until finally Lunch Encounter Monster eats the award. So I just like a minute ago learned that a shoat is a newly weaned pig. So that's that that's a funny pun for people with big vocabularies. <laughs> Two people who got it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> didn't Good have job. Google back then, so <laughs> well, remember, you know, Jim was from Mississippi, so I assume he knew some pig farmers. So someone was watching who knew what it is. People were was. breaking out their funk and wagnalls encyclopedias and being like, Where? What? <laughs> they're, scra- they're, they're, they're brand new scrabble dictionaries. Right. Yeah. right. How many points is Shotman? Not that many. <laughs> Do you think Christopher Reeve returned to reprise his role as one of the Nippon Flippers? 
Because if you recall, the episode that they were in was the one where he was across the hall shooting Superman. So he I do. I'm, I'm trying. When did Superman 2 come out? He might have been there. Oh, it's possible. Yeah. Louis Cazagra also speaks with a zucchini brother named Biondo, which is a fun name. It's also the last name of longtime Sesame Street camera operator Frank Biondo. So I, I wondered if this was oh, cool. another opportunity for, for him to have a little cameo, as he sometimes did on Sesame Street. Or it might have just been some other coincidental Biondo. Also in this UK spot, the 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 Nippon Flippers appear and the Volga Shotmen and the Swahili Stompers. And the African masks from the Harry Belafonte episode are conscripted to be the Swahili Stompers. And I dislike nope. that they are used for a gag. Hate it. That is inappropriate. Yeah, I dislike. Like yeah, I mean, also all of this is bad. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along to the nominees for best inanimate object. The nominees are the singing food. <laughs> the talking luggage. <laughs> here if they were here you'd know about it you know <laughs> and the winner is the dancing mountain uh there follows some some chaos along with that cute little sound of music illusion uh, the mountains are arriving to accept their award and that causes some seismic difficulty and Kermit has to briefly unretire to rush on stage and announce that this award will be mailed out so the mountains don't need to personally appear. ZQ is like one of the only good award show jokes, in my opinion. <laughs> like that really made me giggle. Yeah. There's a lot of chaos backstage while this happens and the singing food is running around and this little, little tomato yells, the Dancing Mountains won! <laughs> in sheer terror. So here's yeah. my question. Have we actually seen Dancing Mountains on The Muppet Show ever? Because it feels like every other nominee is a real thing from the Muppet Show, right? And they could have done this joke with the talking houses, and it just seemed weird to like suddenly pull this other. I mean, it's, it, Dancing Mountains is a funnier imaginary visual, but it's just like again, it sort of breaks the non-logic of this badly written episode. Right. Here's the thing, though. You know, not to be pedantic, because I would never. Adam, but you, by definition singing food and talking luggage and dancing mountains are not inanimate. They are in their very names described as animate. Just saying. And now the tomato launches itself at you. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> to prove that it is not inanimate. Yes. <laughs> yes. Its own sentience and felicity. As Audrey too said, do I look inanimate to you? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Further along in their categories in another upset, not all bears are comedians, but at least two comedians are bears. They are announcing my award. <laughs> and now for the award for the funniest comedy performance by a bear. And the winner is Billy the Bear. Excuse me, I thought you was a rug. <laughs> then he gives Fozzie an exploding cigar and pies him in the face. And this is the first time that I have hated seeing a Muppet get pied in the face. <laughs> Billy the Bear sucks. 
this is the bear that wanted to fuck Leo Sayer. So just. <laughs> but now it's wearing a hat. Yes. Bears wear hats. We knew that. Yes. Alas, there's also an award for stunt of the year. The winner of the stunt of the year award is the 500 foot group plunge recreated for us now by the falling Alfonso. <laughs> see why i asked him to announce it yeah that was lincoln a green tux getting uh fallen upon (laughs) those are some good screams yeah and that was phyllis being a bitch again and i'm again here for it (laughs) (laughs) good i i want those muppet screams to like replace the wilhelm scream (laughs) like some sound editor just hold on to those yeah i'll hold on to them i'll get them into something so the evening progresses with more awards, and even Phyllis gets one, which crumbles in her hand. And the winner is... The winner is me, Phyllis George. Thank you, everyone. Of course, Phyllis George won. No one else is here. <laughs> one of the others would be dumb enough to come back. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> this award will certainly sit in a place of honor. So good job winning best guest star, Phyllis George. Miss Piggy, however, remains empty-handed or empty-hooved. She has hands. I I don't know. She's wearing gloves. Right. You can't tell. (laughs) Oh, man. Are they like hands over her gloves or under her gloves, but over her hooves, rather? It's a lot of layers. It's a lot of layering to be done. Sounds sweaty. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, even though Miss Piggy is a performer in both nominees for Best Sketch, so she seemingly cannot lose the award for Best Sketch. The judges have chosen not to award a friend in this category. What? <laughs> what do you mean? I lost? I'll cut you in two first, George! Wait a minute. It's not me. I didn't decide. Well, well, who did? Well, the Blue Ribbon Panel of Judges. Don't tell me judges. Who are they? What names shall we carve on the tombstones? <laughs> Man, this tunnel visioned piggy with like only thinking about winning, like it feels very latter day Muppets to me. It doesn't feel like Muppet Show era Muppets to me. I don't know. Angry piggy feels very true to the piggy we meet in the Muppets, uh, in the Great Muppet Caper. Yeah. Like th- this is this is piggy on the motorcycle, right? Like, like <laughs> single mindedly going after the things that she wants. Uh, I, I feared for Phyllis George's life a little bit in this scene. <laughs> I do really enjoy I'll Cut You Into Phyllis George. That's just like a perfect <laughs> line reading. <laughs> Please use it out of context at work this week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can see it, but it, it doesn't feel like writing for the Muppets during the Muppet show. But regardless, uh, Piggy still has a chance at a Fred. She is nominated for the final category, Performer of the Year moment we've all been waiting for the most important award of the evening the winner of performer of the year and that winner is the winner is kermit the frog thank you thank you i'm so surprised i I never thought i'd be up here uh, accepting this uh uh coveted fred uh, uh, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I'm really touched. Touched? 
I'll show you touched. What? Hey! Wait, wait, wait. Ho, ho, ho. Uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, in this my hour of triumph, I would specially like to thank Miss Piggy. Uh, thank you, my dear. Oh. I can't even hit him. <laughs> could. <I> still could. <laughs> Piggy's absolutely right to be pissed off. Kermit is barely a performer. Yeah. What is the last time we saw him perform something? When he fucking fell off a trapeze? When he lied in bed while racism happened around him? Like, come on. He he did uh, headline as the detective in the Liza Minnelli episode. Yeah, Although, have, last yeah. episode, he was the, yeah. the second lead. That episode happens in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Happy feet? That was like three ago. seasons ago. <laughs> yeah, it's been a bit... I'm just saying, Piggy works her ass off. She deserved this award. Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> then as the closing credits roll, she just stands there while everybody else like celebrates and hugs each other. And Piggy is just like glaring at the camera and not moving, which is lovely. <laughs> but at least Phyllis had a good time. I can tell you one thing. I love you guys so much. And this has been the best award show ever. I mean, look, everyone got an award. Not everyone, George. Uh, uh, take it easy, Piggy. Uh, uh, the, the voting was done by our special panel of Blue Ribbon judges. Uh, who are they? Who are these judges? Let's see them. Uh, send in the judges. Hmm? Rats! I'm not good enough for rats! Yeah, but they're not like Rizzo rats. They're... Slightly the less rats right. I hate these fucking yeah. rats. They're awful. They're so janky looking. Yeah, they're like embryonic rats. And really, they look like paper mache rats. That's that's the real problem. They just don't look like like fully realized puppets. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, well, they made some decisions. I was not. <laughs> I was going to say they made good decisions, but not not across the board. They did their best. You know what was a good decision, though? That in this episode, they let Piggy continue to talk over the entire end credit sequence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you're watching and you tend to sort of zone out now, actually, like, tune in and pay attention because uh, it's A-plus improv from Frank at this moment. Yeah. So we have a selection of songs that are up for the the Fred for best song, which they never award, right? We never find out. Which I don't one think that. Gets it. Yeah, mm. they don't. And I mean, I I'll just say this here. This is like another weird problem with this episode. They keep calling it the whatever of the year, and whenever they're referencing a real thing, it's not of the year. It's of the entire four seasons of the show so far. Yeah. And none of these are songs that would have actually been nominated out of no, all like, of the songs they've done. These are not the best. The songs are bad and the sketches are fake. Like, And the points don't matter. None, none of this <laughs> See, this is sense. how this episode gets you. This episode gets you into arguing about who who deserves these fake awards. So well, they've, they've it's got like... <laughs> And it's actually like it's 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 such a it's such a weird thing that we have a guest on for this episode who has not watched all yeah hundred episodes with us. No, I know. I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I'm like I'm I'm like articulating this thought as I'm talking, which is great podcasting. But like, <laughs> it's this episode has the feel of a clip show, but it's not a clip show. Right. And I think that's part of the problem. It's like they wanted to do a clip show, but like the producers wouldn't let them. So. Or something. And like they like, wanted to put in as much writing effort as they would for a clip show. Right. But <laughs> instead they actually had to like do everything. 
So it's like these bits that are sort of recycled, but then other bits that are not, but they're half-assed. But they feel like they're recycled. <laughs> right. And it's like, it's not the final season. It's not like a mid-season finale. It was for them in production, but it wasn't, it didn't air in that order. It's real, just so weird. It's so weird. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Christy, tell us how weird it is. <laughs> so in, in the spirit of that, all of these songs we have discussed in previous episodes, so we're not going to go deep into the basic history of the songs, but I have uncovered some new fun facts about all of them, and I'll remind you where we saw them done previously and better. So, uh... You could let Phyllis introduce it. Yeah, let's let, let Phyllis tell you where where we're going at first. Let's listen to the first of the numbers nominated for Best Song of the Year. How do you pronounce this? Shred de Plebot Vanana. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah so that's the swedish chef doing yes we have no bananas which we heard previously in season two in the steve martin episode it was marvin suggs's audition song it was marvin suggs and the singing food so it's it's good to hear them sing it again there were many many food puns in the the marvin suggs version though it, it's it's delightful and i actually managed to find the song in actual Swedish. So l- l- let's hear what that actually sounds like. We have no bananas. No bananas today. We have bananas, melons, halons, citrons, and mazura banana fruit. We have green, camel tomatoes, and so Norlinska potatoes. But yeah, we have no bananas. No bananas today. Perfect. Yeah. No notes. I'm just reminded one of my friends, her fiance is Swedish and she's been trying to learn Swedish on Duolingo so that she can speak it with her fiance and her future stepson. And she said, she's like, yeah, she's like, I do fine with it on Duolingo, but whenever I try to speak it out loud, it sounds like I'm blowing clam chowder out of clarinet. (laughs) (laughs) It's not the most melodious of languages. Like as we could hear there. Yeah. I always just assume that Jim is making shit up when the Swedish chef is happening. And in this, I mean, whatever was happening there, they all had to sing it in unison and, you know, or had to, or like each had to take a line, but like had to sing the same thing in sequentially. And so I was, I was impressed that like whatever was going on, they had to decide on it and be consistent about it and all learn it. And they did a great job. So, you know, good job, Muppet performers. Totally. So here is our new fun fact about Yes, We Have No Bananas. So when we originally discussed this song in 2022, the song itself had fairly recently gone into the public domain. It went into the public domain in 2019. Uh, However, since then, the original recordings of it released in 1923 went into the public domain. uh, Actually, as of a few weeks ago. So shout out to the newly public domain. Yeah. if, If all you rappers out there start sampling. Yeah, this is the first time that I've ever noticed the potatoes in the singing food. I don't know if it's their first appearance with them or if they were just more prominent, but they're horrifying. They seem like they might have been carved out of foam in a hurry, maybe for this yeah. episode. They're really deep set eyes. Like, I, 
other potatoes. <laughs> kind of their whole thing. <laughs> kind of their thing. I do like when he holds a whole, I don't know what the the collective noun for eggplants is, but he has like a whole little bushel of eggplants yeah. that he waves around. <laughs> That's always fun. And I like when the chef extends his wings or his arms like airplane wings and just glides around. There's a there's a pepper that we're gonna I'm gonna talk about later, but uh what a sentence right now. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to our show, Joe. The the potatoes have nothing on the pepper. Just trying to think of a collective down for eggplants. A fraternity of eggplants. <laughs> um, I... <laughs> I didn't understand the word of that. Mit Brustel at the flutes. Oh, why didn't they say that in the first place? <laughs> and now a copy of a copy. You put a piece of carbon paper under your heart And gave me just a second sheet of love Rolf, it's about this song Yeah, what about it? Well, it's a little weird Yeah, I'm sorry about that I wanted a song that was very weird But this was the best I could find <laughs> So yeah, this is Carbon Paper which we originally heard in the Leo Sayer episode in season three. It was Annie Sue's big number in her introduction episode, even though she technically appeared in a couple of episodes before that. And it's an Abe Burroughs joint. Good old Abe Burroughs. Remember his reign of terror? How we've missed him. <laughs> uh, absence does not make the heart grow fonder. Um, <laughs> But a fun fact uh, about a Burroughs that actually ties directly to this episode, to to one of the plot points of this episode. So a Burroughs won a Pulitzer for how to succeed in business without really trying. He wrote the book for that, but he also technically was selected to win a Pulitzer prize, not for drama, but for letters for guys and dolls. But in a, a twist, because he had testified in front of the House Un-American Activities Committee that he'd been to a couple of communist functions, the Pulitzer Committee got nervous about it, and so they just decided not to give the award out at all. Oh. oh. Has any work for the stage been awarded in that category? Isn't that weird? Yeah. I, I'd never seen that before. Maybe after that year, they just got worried about commies and just decided against. Well, it's just because there's a separate category for drama, so that's and they had already, by that point, given musicals the Pulitzer for drama. So yeah, it's just true. very strange. But I, I also, in my digging, uh, found a, a photo of Abe Burroughs testifying in front of HUAC uh, on eBay. And it sold for $19.99. Who bought it? Uh, this song struck me as extremely appropriate for someone who had a one-year marriage as someone's fourth wife. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weirdly horny rendering everybody was married to robert evans for a year back in the 70s it's just happened <laughs> that way like is fun yeah, robert um, evans or john peters i liked it yeah. so much better than the annie sue rendition like it like the song works when you sing it this way and it's yeah sort of funny and a little bit sad and i don't know i liked it and I liked, like, she and Rolf had good chemistry in that little, that weird little interstitial dialogue they had. I don't know. Yeah, she's in a slinky red number, and yeah. she's really throwing herself into the song. And she's not a terrible singer. Like, I, I was pleasantly no, yeah, surprised that she could sing. Yeah. I mean, it's it's very in the vein of, like, happy birthday, Mr. President. But yeah. that's not a bad thing. Like, it's not my favorite Muppet number, but it's, it's my favorite n- number in the episode, which is a very low bar. Ooh, ooh, shall we give it an award for the best <laughs> number in the episode? <laughs> 
I would argue for another one, but we'll get there. Yeah. Hey, wake up! Mm-hmm. What do you think of that last number? Oh, 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 that George Phyllis is a wonderful singer. You mean Phyllis George is a wonderful singer? They're both terrific. <laughs> Speaking of George. <laughs> you and I and George were strolling through the park one day. And then you held my hand as if to say, I love you. We came to a brook and George fell in and drowned himself. Yeah, so uh, as a refresher, uh, you and I and George was our very first UK spot. And it was written by Red Kelly for Stan Kenton's orchestra. And our new fun fact is uh, I discovered that if you want to recreate the original version from the Kenton at the Las Vegas Tropicana album, a website called sierramusicstore.com has the full score of it for voice and five trombones. <laughs> that's too many trombones. That's a lot of trombones. And, like, and that's it? Like, there's no piano? Yeah. There's no... Yeah. Wow. Okay. Oh, yeah. You pull, pull up the original recording and it's just five trombones i always love you and i and george yeah anyway (laughs) yeah but this is too this performance feels a little rushed it it does not have sort of the easy breeziness of the original or of the later old brown nurse's back rendition that i think is part of the charm of the song so this just feels very perfunctory yeah i think those were both funnier but it's still here and i'm still always here for it all right speaking of things michael is here for Yes, I mean, I, there's no better way to introduce this. <laughs> there's Lena, Harvey, Juliet, Diane, and if I get a chance, I'll try to find a place where I can also mention Mum and Shantz, along with Roy and Dale, Petula, Andy, Phyllis, Rita, Dom, and Nance, and Sandy, Harlow, Joel, and George. And Florence, Dizzy, Julie, and Lorene, and Bob, and Peter, and Connie, Kenny, Bernadette, Marisa, Chris, and Rita, Madeline, and Senior, Wences, Lola, Charles, and Beverly. This list is getting much too long, so I'll just end it cleverly. <sighs> so, uh, if you hadn't already pieced it together, uh, that was, in fact, a list of Muppet Show guest stars cleverly arranged to I Am the Very Model of a Modern Major General. David's putting cleverly in heavy air quotes. Um <laughs> It mostly rhymes. I'll give Mo- them that. Mostly. It, mostly. it mostly rhymes. It but then well fucking enough. Richard Hunt, not to speak ill of the dead, blows the, the, the rhyme by pronouncing Mum and Sean. Mum and Sean. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, uh, yeah I, I, I don't care for that. Mm. But yeah, this is. A I mean, would of- you be less annoyed if he had pronounced, if he had said Mum and Chance? Yes. Oh. Because then it would have been funny. Fair. <laughs> Yeah. But also, like, the whole number. But you got to, you got to, you got to make the rhyme no matter what. Yeah, yeah. Yes. They also they take this at such a slow tempo, it's which so I get slow. you have yeah. to do in order to get to to really process the lyrics, but it, it's like uh, too slow and it, it just kills it for me. Well, the whole yeah. point of the song kind of is like it's a it's a parlor trick a little bit, right? Where you, right. you know you got to be able to sing it so fast and yeah. And you're right that Gilbert and Sullivan would have wanted him to alter the vowel in order to make right. the rhyme. Right. And listen, if we've learned anything from Hamilton, it's that you can train the ear by starting slow and then getting faster as the song goes mm-hmm. on. So certainly by this point of the song, there's no excuse for that. Right. So, Michal, 
tell us a little bit about the Pirates of Penzance. Uh, the Pirates of Penzance is an operetta by Gilbert and Sullivan. If all goes according to plan with our schedule, this episode is going to drop on February 29th, which is a date that I like to observe by singing all the way through the operetta, The Pirates of Penzance or The Slave of Duty, in honor of the birthday of Frederick, the titular Slave of Duty. So if you're hearing this on February 29th, go and give Pirates of Penzance a listen. Or... Uh, watch the 1983 movie starring Muppet Show Season 5 guest star Linda Ronstadt. Or, at the very least, if you can't sit through a whole movie, go watch the magical clip of Daniel Radcliffe singing Tom Lehrer's song, The Elements, set to this same melody. If I may be a little nerdy for the moment, uh, if you are willing... Nerdier than that? <laughs> yes. Nerdier than Daniel Radcliffe singing The Elements while everybody it, it, gives him side eye on this talk show. If you are willing to to look in the less legal corners of the internet, in addition to the 1983 movie starring Muppet Show Season 5 guest star Linda Ronstadt, there is also a film of the live stage production that that movie is based on uh, that was recorded when it was at uh, the Delacour Theater in Central Park, which is superior to the movie version. Uh, and that is not super available, but if you know where to look, you can find it. Well, I'm going to hit you up for a secret link. <laughs> it's a shame you don't live closer because I have the DVD of it in my office. <laughs> nice. Although I di- I disagree that it's superior. I, I enjoy uh, Angela Lansbury more than Estelle Parsons. <laughs> anyway, back to Scooter. I did not fully fact check this against the air order, but I feel like since this was the last episode before a break, they must have been pretty confident that that this would work out. But this ended up not being the last episode of this batch to actually air. But I didn't. Did anyone catch if Crystal Gale and Diane yep. Cannon were in yep, this? Okay, so those hadn't aired there. yet in the U.S. Uh, also, Senior Wences is named, and he wasn't actually on until next season. So I guess he was supposed to be, and then they canceled. And they wound up using a photo of the back of Charles Aznavour in the slideshow that was playing behind Scooter. Thank you. Yeah, it's all the part. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, I. I don't think I would have clocked that on my own, but like once you know, it's like, oh yeah, I recognize the number. You can tell what's happening once you once you know it. Muppet Wiki pointed that out because yeah, there's a scooter's performance in front of a slideshow of every of every guest star uh, who's appeared so far. It's weird. I was happy to see Droop in the slideshow. He was yeah, there with Ben with Ben Vereen. <laughs> yeah, I I enjoyed this. This was my favorite part of the episode. But yeah, the the song originally appeared in the Gilda Radner episode, a, a favorite of ours, in the Carrots of Penzance Medley, which I uh, revisited in researching this episode, and it is just the best. And my one fun fact to add to the discussion is that the Pirates of Penzance is coming back to Broadway uh, next year with David Hyde Pierce as the Major General. It is sort of coming back to Broadway because what is coming is really an adaptation of the Pirates of Penzance reset in New Orleans with the score redone is sort of like a New Orleans jazz Attico thing uh, with a new book by Rupert Holmes, I believe. So it, it, it will be a Pirates of Penzance shaped experience that is not exactly the Pirates of Penzance. But David Hyde Pierce is playing the major general, which is all that really matters. Pirates of Penzance food product. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yes, in individually wrapped slices. Right. I don't know. Every time I see Pirates of Penzance not in a leap year, it feels like a missed opportunity, but I will I'll, I will see it in the year 2025. All right. Well, just goes to show you. Let's end with as much fun as the traffic will allow. <laughs> it really has been an evening that proves the truth 
of that old song, ladies and gentlemen. about it is appealing everything the traffic will allow nowhere could you get that happy feeling when you are stealing that extra bow there's no business like show business again uh, in case you've forgotten uh this is an irving berlin song from the musical annie get your gun from 1946 and uh, appropriately, it appeared in the Ethel Merman episode in season one, uh, as Ethel Merman was the originator of the song. And my only fun fact that I have to add this time around is that I learned last night that the French version of Annie Get Your Gun is called Annie du Far West. <laughs> yeah, this is cute. It's yeah, fine. this is uh, a harder song for Phyllis or a harder key for her. Something is happening with her voice yeah. in this one. <laughs> a harder song to make breathily horny <laughs> <laughs> tell it to Bernadette Peters Aww. so at one point they cut to a bunch of chickens uh, backstage who are singing along and that's great we love enthusiastic chickens uh, but then they're joined by a pepper like a green pepper who I don't think was in the bananas number which makes it even weirder and he has the most horrifying tiny teeth <laughs> Why, why must they give a vegetable teeth at all? This is come up before. I think an eggplant had yeah, teeth. Yeah, you were horrified yeah. by eggplant teeth specifically. But these are even worse. They're like, they're so, these like tiny, oh, they're so bad. <laughs> I chose to understand them as uh, the seeds of the inside of the pepper and not teeth. And I'm sleeping better tonight because of that. Which is very clever. That's a very clever thing to do if you have a singing pepper to make its teeth out of seeds, but they're still horrifying. Oh, that sounds more horrifying to me, actually. And why is it with the chickens? I don't understand. Because chicken and pepper are delicious. That's true. Yeah. That's a fair point. Chicken and peppers goes very well together. Yeah. Practically fajitas. Speaking of fajitas, let's wrap this up. Never mind that jazz. Listen, turkey. What? And get out of show business. So we have two nominees for the best sketch of the year or of today or whatever uh, time period they're using. Uh, one is Pigs in Space, which is nominated for the best sketch. But the crew of the Swine Trek, when they are called upon to perform the best sketch, can't quite agree on which Pigs in Space episode they are presenting. If we are going to win a Fred, we should do... First Mate Piggy saves the day. I don't remember that one. Well, of course you do. It's where you become hysterical and I have to knock you out like this. Huh? And, oh. and then I, I, I take over the controls. Arg, I be Captain Bluebore. <laughs> Wait, you're not in this sketch. Aren't we be doing Pig Alien? No, no, no. We are doing First Mate Piggy saves the day. I don't remember that one. Of course you do. Link becomes hysterical and I have uh, to knock him out. Oh, wait. Uh, oh. <laughs> Pig Arg, I remember. <laughs> so Piggy has opinions about which episode they should do, but she is overruled. My favorite is Strange Pork Takes Up Disco. Mm. Does anybody hit me in that one? No, Linky. Oh, good. Then that's the one we'll do. Oh, brother. Not delicious. Come on, Piggy. Oh, boogie down. Get out of the show. I'm getting out. 
I too wish to take up disco. Strangeport takes up disco. That that could win the best sketch of today, at least. I just really like Strangeport. Like I, we didn't need a second clip. I just wanted it because it was maybe the only thing that made me laugh out loud. Because oh yeah, Strangeport is cute. There's joy to be had there. We should share it. I do like when he calls him Linky. I also like yeah, that. Yeah, that's sweet. I also appreciate when they work a George Bernard Shaw reference into a Pigs in Space. Which yeah, is- I was imagining how they could like work some like My Fair Lady songs in with Pig Alien. And- oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thinker. Yeah, I caught it the second time I watched. <laughs> but then it's literal because they get boarded by a pirate. So I didn't I didn't even go there. It's it's not worth it. It's okay. No, no, I appreciate it. So the other nominee for best sketch is Veterinarian's Hospital, in which Dr. Bob gets ahead of himself. He could still win. Yeah, but we've got real tough competition. I was afraid of that. What's our competition? Pigs in space. I'd like to thank the members of the Academy. I was the star of Pigs in Space. Also, my producer, my director. You're in both sketches. You can't lose. Hey, you're right. Not much point in going on. And so we come to the end of another veterinarian's hospital. Tune in next week when you'll hear Nurse Piggy say... Knock it off. Let's get to the award. Yep. Then she doesn't win. It, it just occurred to me that although this is before the Muppets had any firsthand experience with the Oscars, they had a lot of experience with the Emmys by this point between uh, both the Muppet Show and Sesame Street, and also, I think, with the Grammys because of Sesame Street. So uh, they did know a little bit about what they were doing, although, let's be real, no one really cares about the Grammys or the Emmys. <laughs> or for Sesame Street, it would be the daytime Emmys, right? Right, it would be the daytime Emmys. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it is also entirely possible that Jim Henson might have said something about hating awards shows and that that became this episode. Yeah. Could be. I know they had to do it this way in order to have the joke of having Piggy be nominated in all of the nominees for this category, but it feels like a big slight to Bunsen and Beaker from Muppet Labs not to be nominated in this category. Mm. In general, I feel like they have not gotten love from the season four writers. Like, it's been a while since we've seen them do a Muppet Lab sketch. It has been. Have they been in this season? Beaker has. Uh, Bunsen may be in the background. They've been not. in the background. Has there been a, there's been a lab sketch. Early on, there were lab sketches. Because remember, we talked about the new set. Oh, I was going to say, well, depending on our criteria, maybe they weren't eligible for best sketch of the season. If that's how we're going. I can't believe those rats were responsible for this show. Why not? They were also responsible for the bubonic plague. Uh, before we go for real, Joe, uh, we like to take this time to have a little bit more of a chat with our guests, mostly so that you can plug whatever things you want to plug. So uh, this is your time of the year to shine. So yeah, uh, have at it. This is this is uh, the time of the year where I uh, am doing as much work as I can possibly do. It's Oscar season, so I'm doing a bunch of stuff over at Vulture. I'm going to be doing... I rank all of the nominated movies every year, including all of the shorts. So I'm still sort of watching the last few stragglers of that. That'll be closer to awards time. There's also a, I don't know if I, I don't know. It's coming up soon. There's a, there's a big Oscar quiz that I'm uh, writing for them. It should be coming up soon. And um, 
I'm running this thing called the Vulture Movie Fantasy League. That's very fun. I also write about television at Primetimer and, of course, my podcast, This Had Oscar Buzz, where we've just somewhat recently launched a Patreon for that. So we're doing a lot of podcasting. We just did our special episode on the Sundance Film Festival. So it, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of us <laughs> out there. So um, if you're into movies, if you're into like, you know, Oscar movies and, and uh, sort of Oscar bait uh, and sort of talking about that kind of thing, um, we have fun. We, we don't, uh, we take it very seriously to the point where uh, it's not so serious at all. It's, we sort of come around the other side of it. So my co-host, uh, Chris File, I should say, shout out uh, to Chris. Couldn't do it without him. And yeah. That's, and if, that's if people happened. want to find you on the internet besides searching on Vulture or on for the name of your podcast, where should they go? Um, I'm on all of the usual socials uh, at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. I, I feel bad directing people to Twitter just because, uh, you know, v- the vibes are so bad. I am on Blue Sky. I am on Letterboxd if uh, anybody wants to find me there. And yeah, that's about it. Wonderful. Thanks. Thanks again for joining us. It's been thanks for uh, having a real pleasure me. to have you. Yeah, no, this Yay. was a, like, this was super fun. Uh, I know Adam, you, you apologized to me immediately and I was like, eh, you know, it's, well, I've been, try- I've been trying to get you for so long and like <laughs> the scheduling didn't work out for like, you know, like Oscar winning actors and stuff. And, and then I was like, Oh, this one. And then I actually watched it. <laughs> so, no, it's th- always listen. fraught when we invite a guest because you want to put your best foot forward. Oh, and I understand. Right. Yeah. It's this. Right. <laughs> I know how it goes. You know, and I will just, I probably don't need to say this because a lot more people listen to your podcast than our podcast. But, uh, but you know, if, if you like our podcast, you, you will like the set Oscar buzz. If you like the, the weird digressions and, and historical context and like, you know, deep, uh, nerdery, uh, it's, deep it's, nerdery a, is a good way it's, it's it. a different vibe of nerdery, I think, but, uh-huh. uh, but like, I, I, you know, I have seen almost none of the movies that, uh, that they talk about and I love it every week. So uh, you should check it out if you haven't already. Thanks for listening to this episode of Muppeturgy. Join us in two weeks when we'll get around to our discussion of the Anne Murray episode. You can find us on social media at Muppeturgy or on the web at Muppeturgy.com. Buy our merch at Muppeturgy.com slash store. Our theme music was composed and performed by Christy Bauer. Our show logo was created by Todd Brian Backus. And this episode was edited by me, David Levy. I feel like no one else in this podcast watches the traders. This is just you and me having this conversation. Okay. I'm aware of it as a phenomenon. I'm not. Uh, I'll look it up later. <laughs>